Hey guys, good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Yeah, doing good. Man, we ought to be after that worship. That was so good. Uh, listen, I, I'm not going not gonna to beat a dead horse or go over, rehash everything uh, Pastor Ivan talked about, but I do just want to hit it again about guest gathering since this is something that is so, so new and say this, uh, if you consider yourself new or you know someone who is here or is not here, but they consider themselves new or you consider them new, uh, this, this meeting is for them. And it's not, again, like he said, it's not a class. We're not going to keep you forever. Here's the feedback I got. And it was very hurtful to me. Uh, people told me that they didn't want to have lunch with a pastor, that that was a big step. I feel like I, I love having lunch with me, so I don't know what's y'all, what y'all's problem is, but they said it was intimidating, and so we thought, man, we can, we can do something about that. We can make it where it's just a quick thing before service. So anyway, the other thing I'll add to that is if you consider yourself new and you know someone in this room who is a regular attender, call them up and bring them with you and then let us know that you're bringing them with you and uh and we will have food for all of you and again it's at 9 30 child care's taken care of it won't be long you know it can't be long because we got to be in here at 10 so anyway all right all that's guest gathering hope you guys will avail yourself to that well, let's get right into it we started a brand new sermon series last week called we need to talk and uh we, I reminded you about the power of your words. It's not something new. You didn't learn that last week. You know words are powerful. But last week was a good reminder because here's what happens so often. There are things we know, but the longer we know them, the more desensitized to them we become. And so undoubtedly, there are those of us who used our words in a hurtful way this week. And you just heard a sermon about it last week. And so it is just something we need to bring up from time to time. We need to talk about. And so we talk, we, we really dove into words are powerful. The other thought we looked at was from Proverbs 18, that words are seeds. Words are seeds. That's the imagery that Solomon gives us there in Proverbs 18. He says, when you get all of our words together, when you put them, gather them all together, that our words create a harvest. And so as you look at your life, as I look at my life, what kind of harvest do I have? Did I have a good crop or a bad crop? Do I have a crop that I am excited about? Or do I have a crop that I realize, man, this needs some work. I need to do a little bit more tending to the, to the harvest here. And so words are powerful. I know I've got to move on this week, but this week as I was as I was studying, as I was preparing for this message, two really powerful thoughts hit me, and I just want to share them with you real quick before we dive into today's message. So this is today's pre-message. Aren't you guys glad you came? We're still going to end on time, hopefully. Um, words are so powerful. This, this hit me this week. Words are so powerful. You don't even have to be in the same room with someone to hurt them with words. I mean, if you wanted to hurt someone physically, you know, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them, stab, whatever. If you want to hurt somebody physically, you want to stab them, you've got to be in arm's reach. You've got to be in their proximity. 
knife, not your weapon of choice, okay, gun, whatever, you've still got to be able to see them. You have got to be in proximity to them. Here's the deal. Our words, you can call me on the telephone. You could write me a letter. I could, something that you said could come through someone else, and I know it was you, and it could, it could devastate someone else. It could hurt because words are that powerful. We don't even have to be in the same room with someone to hurt them. Here's the other thought that occurred to me this week as I'm talking about how significant words are, how powerful words are. Every week, the media team straps this little thing right here to my face. And every week, I stand up on a stage and I say stuff. I could say words today that could completely ruin my life. I'm, I hope I'm not going to. I'm going to try my best not to. But I could say words and it would end my ministry. I'm talking that would be it. Next week, there would be some wonderful people. The elders of the church would be up here, and they would stand before you at this time. The worship would end. You would be expecting me, and it would be the elders. And here's what they would say to you. Do you guys remember Pastor Andrew? He's not with us any longer. And he wanted us to tell you that he is so sorry about the words that he said. And they would try to use words to walk back what I had said, but the damage would be done. Here's why I thought about that. Because this week, there is a famous pastor, mega church pastor in Illinois, that if I were to call his name, many of you uh, would be familiar with him. He, he's got stuff on Right Now Media, the thing we use for the church for small groups, books, podcasts, sermons. His stuff is all over and a little while back, he went on a radio show, and he made some comments. And I, it's still unclear. I don't know if he thought the microphone was off. I don't know if he thought this is just between friends. It'll stay between friends. But what he said was so bad. What he said was so bad that whenever the people at his church found out, they released the recording. The radio station released the recordings. And whenever the people at his church found out what he had said, they fired him. That's it. He was the founding pastor. He had been there for 20 some odd years, I think, maybe more. And they fired him that week because that's how powerful words are. So put that in your context. I know you guys don't have one of these things on your face. And I get that. Just realizing that my words are so significant. My words are so powerful that, that what Proverbs 18.21 says, that the power of life and death is in the tongue, the power of life and death is in the tongue, that applies to me and to you and to every person you will ever meet. And so in your setting, you could make a phone call today. You could text somebody today and you could kill a relationship that you have been trying your heart. You've been building it for years, but the tongue has the power of life and death. And so again, words are powerful. And, uh, and, and so I just had to share those thoughts with you. I want to transition now to the topic for today. Today, I want to talk to you on the subject of don't talk to me like that. Don't talk to me like that. Anybody here ever said that? Yeah. I think every, really every hand in the room should be up. There's a couple people over here who are laughing. They're like, I said that to you this morning, you know. 
don't talk to me like that. I hadn't been in the bathroom that long. You know, whatever it is that causes stress and strife in your relationships. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, that's where we're going to be camping out today. We're going to take an expository look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 29. So if you just want to go ahead and uh, open up your Bible to that page or scroll down or however you receive God's Word, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Let me give you some context for what's going on. So Paul has written this to the church in Ephesus, and in the section just prior to this one, he was talking to them about unity and maturity. Hey guys, you as a church need to know, you need to come together, you need to work together in unity and harmony, and you need to grow up in your faith. There are steps of maturity you need to take. And so Paul finishes that section, and then in verse 17, he starts a new section on Purity. I want you to say that with me on the count of three. One, two, three, purity. He's talking to them about how can we be pure. And I love how he starts this section. Look at verse 17. It says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Hey, hey, listen up. What I've got to say next is so important, is so vital. I'm going to tell you and I insist you listen that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. You got to live different. You're believers. Jesus lives on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit, you were bought at a price. And so your life shouldn't look like everyone else's life. It shouldn't look like unbelievers. Life. Here's the context for us, the implication for us. Let me ask it in the form of a question. Does my life look different than the unbelievers' lives that I know? Does my life look different? Is there a purity in my life that I don't necessarily see in the lives of unbelievers that I know? Or let's zoom in because this is what verses 25 through 29 is talking about. It's talking about pure speech. Do we talk differently than the unbelievers we know? Is... Are our words seasoned with grace and wisdom and understanding? Do we talk differently? And so with that in mind, that's kind of the context. Let's go ahead and read verse 25, and we're going to read through 29. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer and must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. And then this is the verse you know. This is the verse that's on all the postcards and the bookmarks. This is the verse you've underlined in your Bible. And if you haven't underlined it, let me go ahead and suggest underline it because this is something you'll want to come back to. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Dear God, help me. Because as we read this about pure speech, let me just go ahead and open up to you. 
It is tough. We all need these reminders. But I believe that what we're going to do today in those five verses, there are four principles for godly communication that if we institute these in our communication, it'll make a world of difference. So let's look at it. Go back up to verse 25 for me, guys. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. Number one, be honest. Be honest. In a world full of half-truths and whole lies, there is something about honesty that causes people to stand out, doesn't it? Do you know people like that in your life? People who, when they tell you something, you don't have to second guess. You don't have to say in your mind, I wonder if that's right. You know absolutely beyond the shadow of a doubt, they'll be straight up with me. They wouldn't lie to me. It causes us to stand out. Let me tell you how I know this. Anybody here know an honest mechanic? Yeah, we, we've got some of them here in Mount Olive. But whenever you meet an honest mechanic, you take your car in and it's spitting and sputtering and it sounds horrible. And you go to pick that bad boy up. And, and honestly, I don't know if you guys think like I do. I get to the checkout desk and I'm always a little afraid. Oh, boy. Tell me what the damage is, you know? You just, you pause a little bit, you hesitate a little bit, but, but tell me what we got. You ever had a mechanic who you know they did some stuff and they didn't charge you for, or they were, you know what, it was just a, it was a connection. The connection was loose. That's all it was. Or it was, it was just a rubber seal. It was a 25 cent part. Don't worry about it. What do you do when you find a mechanic like that? Well, one, you keep going. They get all your business. But the second thing is you tell everybody because you have found a unicorn. You have found an honest mechanic. And again, we have some in Mount Olive. Here's what I'm saying. Honesty causes us to stand out. You know the hallmark of a dysfunctional relationship? The, one of the key characteristics of a dysfunctional relationship is secrecy. Secrecy, hiding stuff, keeping stuff from the, the other person in the relationship. I had a lady, she came to church one morning, and she was a wreck. I mean, she was just so beside herself, bawling her eyes out. I took her to a private, I said, what's going on? Are you okay? And as she began to talk to me, she shared with me that, she and her boyfriend of two years had just broken up and she thought he was going to propose and she just knew that this was the guy. And so she was so brokenhearted. And then she kept talking and she said, you know, and she didn't even realize what she was saying. She said, you know, one of the things, he, he never wanted me to surprise him at his work and he was always really, he never let me have his phone. You know, his, his phone was never out around me. He always kept it to himself. And she just began to say all these things. We've both got social media accounts, but he never wanted to make it, you know, Facebook official. And so as she's going through all of this stuff before she finishes, and she kept going and going, but before she finishes, I'm like, you didn't see this coming? I knew a year ago he was going to break up with you, and I just met you, you know. 
Secrecy is the hallmark of a dysfunctional relationship. And the really sad thing was she didn't realize how secretive it had become. She didn't realize how dysfunctional the relationship was. Let me tell you the opposite of that is true as well. The opposite is true as well. The most free person in the world is the one with nothing to hide. Amen? When I know that in any and every relationship in my life, I can be completely honest. I don't have to remember, wait, what did I tell this person because I didn't tell them? As a matter of fact, I had a family member who called me this past week, and I hope she does not watch this Facebook live feed. I had a family member who called me this past week, and she took Monday off. She said, I needed a mental health day. I just took it out. I was sick and tired of work. And she comes in the next day, and another girl at work is out, sick with, like, congestion and cough. And they started blaming this family member of mine. You got them sick. You're the reason. And she told on herself, she said, that's not true because I wasn't even sick yesterday. (laughs) So then you got to remember, wait, who did I tell what to Let me tell you one of the things I'm so glad about at the church. We have a policy. It's called the hedge policy. So I got married to Nicole in April. And then in August, I came on staff here at the church. It was just a few months apart. And one of the things they told me is, we strongly suggest you should give all your passwords to your spouse. That way, if at any point she wants to just kind of check up and make sure everything's good, that gives her peace of mind and it gives you accountability and it's really just a good practice. You don't have to do it, but we would strongly encourage you to do it. Now, of course, we're married at that time. Absolutely. I, went, I was hired to be the kids pastor I began to meet all the people on my kids' ministry team. It was 95% women. I'm so glad that nothing ever happened that was out of the way. Nothing. But she always had peace of mind. Here's what I'm saying to you. Let me just cap it all off. Be honest. In, in whatever the situation you are in, the relationship you find yourself in, demands, be honest. Because it really is. Yeah, honesty is the best policy. Let's keep going. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Read this with me. In your anger, do not sin. Let's read it one more time. In your anger, do not sin. I appreciate Paul so much right here because he didn't say, if you're ever angry, do not sin. He says, in your anger. He knows if I am in relationship with someone long enough, there's going to be some anger. There's going to be some strong feelings. There's going to be some disagreements. So in your anger, do not sin. And then, so the point there is, be considerate. Be considerate. If I'm on my job long enough, I'm going to have some disagreements with my coworkers. And the people said, amen. If I'm married long enough, I'm going to have some disagreements with my spouse. And the people said, amen. If I have children, or let's say you're a child and you have parents, there's going to be times we disagree and are angry. And everybody said, Hey, yeah, some some mamas on the front row. Hey, man, yes, Lord. 
Why? Because the people we love the most know how to push our buttons the best, don't they? They know right where they're at. They know just what will get a reaction. And so what Paul is telling us here is don't blow up. Be considerate. You're going to get angry in your anger. Do not sin. In preparation for this message, I did some research and I found Dr. John Gottman. Let me just go ahead and suggest to you, write down his name. His research is worth taking a look at. Dr. John Gottman, he is from the University of Washington. University of Washington. Here's what he does. He studies people fighting. I don't know if that would be an awesome job or a horrible job. It sounds like a little bit of both, doesn't it? Every day he studies people fighting. And here's what he's done. He has done so much research. He has become so good in his field that now it is documented. He can predict with 90% accuracy those couples who will get divorced. He can predict, let me say again, 90% accuracy. There's a lot of different markers. Let me show you one. And he says this is an important one. Stable marriages have a five-to-one ratio of positivity to negativity during conflict. Whereas in unstable marriages, the ratio is 0.8 to 1. In stable marriages, the ratio is 5 to 1. In unstable marriages during conflict, the ratio is 0.8 to 1. That means for every cutting thing you say, for every snide thing you say, for every, oh, that'll get them thing you say, in unstable marriages, there's not even one conflict. What, what does this show us? We've got to be considerate. It, it shows us that the way that we have a healthy marriage, and not just marriage, the way that we have healthy relationship with those around us is to lay a foundation of affirmation. To have that foundation of affirmation. That I'm going to affirm the person, but I'm going to confront the problem. I want you to say that with me. Affirm the person, confront the problem. Let me say it, let's say it one more time. Affirm the person, confront the problem. That is a foundation of affirmation. That is being considerate. Here's the other thing that his research showed. And again, I don't have time to just go through all his research, but his stuff is good. You should check it out. He said that no, uh, no argument, no conversation ever rises above the level of the first three minutes. So if you're in a conflict with someone and it starts out really poorly, you're already being snide, you're already being argumentative, you're already being cutting. It's not going to just go ahead and call a timeout and say, hey, we need to come back to this when cooler heads can prevail. We're going to do damage here today that it's going to be irreparable. So let's, let's just take a timeout because no conversation ever rises above the level of the first three minutes. What does that teach us? That as much as possible, we need to start our conversations with things like, hey, I love you. I'm committed to this relationship. I appreciate you. There's some things we need to talk about, and I don't love talking about them, but we need to figure this out. You affirm the person, and you confront the problem. 
Affirm the person, confront the problem. Again, all of this, this be considered, it's not just based off of Dr. Gottman's research. I want to show it to you in, in Scripture in another place. Psalm 100, Psalm 100, verses 3 and 4. Know that the Lord is God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. What does that have to do with us? How does God say he wants us to approach him? With praise and thanksgiving. Whose image are we made in? We are made in God's image. That doesn't mean when you come to me, I expect you to come and praise my name and give thanksgiving. But what it, what it does mean is, we all want to know that as a conversation starts, there is a level of mutual respect. There is a foundation of affirmation. We are going to be considerate. Let's go back to Ephesians 4. The other part of verse 26 and verse 27 says this. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, number three, be quick. Be quick. I, I probably could have worded that better. I wanted to stay with my be whatever. But don't let issues linger. Don't let stuff just hang out and camp out and, and, and stay there. One, one of the things I did in, in preparation for this week, that word devil right there, that is the Greek word diablos. When, when God showed me this this week, it was, um, I don't know that I've ever put this together. I know, I've heard all of my life that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, that he is a slanderer. We, you've heard that too, maybe. The way that Satan attacks us is through words. One of, some of his primary target, the way he primarily gets into us is through our words and our thoughts. It's through our communication. So, so here's how this looks. You start a relationship with somebody and everything's good. And you like that person and you're all good. And then one day something happens. And they said something and they didn't even really know that it caught you off guard or that you weren't happy with it. Or maybe they did. What? But the thing that we have to do, we can't hold on to that. We can't put it on the back burner. We can't sweep it under the rug. We have to be quick. We have to not let issues linger because here's what Satan does. When we allow things like that to camp out, he comes to us. We've given him a foothold. And now Satan comes in and he begins to slander that person. And he begins to deceive us about that person and, and, and show us and talk to us about their worst character traits and about how, can you believe? And they are so... And before you know it, we look at that person who we had this small conflict with. We don't even want to be around them. We can't even stand to get them out of my sight. They're horrible. Why? Because we've given the devil a foothold, and he's a slanderer, and he's a deceiver. And none of us were meant to be reservoirs of anger. God wants us to be channels of forgiveness, just like he gave forgiveness so freely to us. We were designed not to hold on to anger, not to hold on to conflict and strife. That gives Satan a foothold. We were designed, our makeup, we are God designed to give forgiveness. And when we try to hold on to those things and we don't confront the problem, 
It messes us up every time. So we've got to be considerate. Be considerate. Now let's go to the next verse. It's verse 28 of Ephesians chapter 4. And I'll be honest, this one's kind of strange. It doesn't seem to make sense. It feels a little bit out of place. But I told you we were going to take an expository look, so I didn't just want to skip over it. So, so verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. So remember, it doesn't fit in with pure speech, but Paul is in a bigger section here. And what's he talking about? Don't make me start my sermon over again. What's he talking? He's talking about purity. He's talking about purity. And so in this section, it's like a stream of consciousness. He's like pure speech, pure speech, pure speech. And oh yeah, you've been stealing stuff. Stop that. Pure speech. It's like, he, hey, wait, squirrel, you've been doing this and y'all need to stop that too. And then he goes right back to pure speech. And so, uh, again, I just didn't want to skip over that. But here's verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Number four, be helpful. Be helpful. That word, that word unwholesome, do not let any, un, let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That word unwholesome, when you literally render that in the Greek, that means bad, decayed, or rotten. So, so if you wanted to read it this way, there would be nothing wrong. Do not let any rotten talk come out of your mouths. You guys ever smell anything rotten? Have you? I mean, seriously, you, you ever smell anything rotten? Let me tell you what happened to me and Nicole a couple months ago. I think it was December. <clears throat> It's Christmas time. It's busy. Don't judge us. <laughs> we cook, and then leftovers sometimes get eaten, and sometimes not all of them get eaten, and they get pushed to the back of the fridge. This is the judgy part. And sometimes they stay in there a while. And December, y'all know, there's Christmas parties. There's all the stuff to do. There's like 10 million things going on at church. And so it's just busy for us. And so one day in December, it was a Saturday, we're washing dishes and the drain board is full. We're like, we got to clean out the kitchen. This is horrible. And, and so the drain board's full. We stop washing dishes. Again, it's Saturday in December, so we got somewhere to be. And so we go and we're away the rest of the day. Now, here's the deal. We've got two small kids. Sunday's a busy day. We're up early. There's all kinds of stuff going on. We got to iron the clothes. We got to lay everything out. We got to get the car packed. And so we came home that day with a to-do list. We got to put the kids down and then we got to get to work. You know, we got to get ready for church. <clears throat> I walked in from the garage entrance right there into the kitchen and it was like somebody punched me in the face. It smelled horrible in my house. It's 8.30 at night. It's kids' bedtime. We got stuff we got to do. We got a laundry list of stuff needs to be done. But this smell, there was no way. We had to handle this first. What had happened is somehow or another, I blame the kids, somehow or another, 
the crockpot lid that is sealed on the top, it got jarred and it, it was open about that much. And during that day, it, the food in there that was already a science project <laughs> warmed up to room temperature and it smelled horrendous. And so we quickly decided, okay, Nicole, you put the kids down. You start on the iron and stuff. I'm going to be on hazmat duty. We're getting this house right, baby. Before we go to bed, we got to do something. I wonder, are we more comfortable with rotten words in our mouth than with rotten food in our house? Because when that rotten food was in our house, we had to handle it right then. As soon as we knew the problem, as soon as we were confronted with the reality of the smell and the uh. But are we, are we cool with rotten words in our mouth? Well, Pastor Andrew, you just, you don't know. I work with a bunch of guys and they talk like this and it's not a big deal and well, Pastor Andrew, we don't normally watch those kinds of movies, but my girlfriend told me this one was going to be good. They only said GD a couple times. And again, I'm not here to judge you. I started out this message by saying, I don't have my mouth completely under control. This is a dear God help us. As a matter of fact, James tells us that the tongue is untamable. He said, you put bits in the mouths of horses and you can tame the whole body. But there is something about our tongue. It is untamable except with God's help, except with God's grace and his empowerment. And so Paul's telling us right here, put verse 29 back up for me. Paul's telling us right here in verse 29 that every, with every word we speak, we have a choice. They can be rotten, they can be unwholesome, or they can be helpful. What, our relationships are going to bear the brunt, whether, whether it's good or bad. Remember, it's all a harvest. What are our words like? I know, I know, it's hard. It's hard. But with God's help, we can do it. And with God's help, we don't have to talk like that anymore. We don't have to allow those things to go on in our house anymore. Don't talk to me like that. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Much easier said than done. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> thank you, Lord. Thank you that you, you know it's hard. Your, your word tells us that taming our tongue is difficult. And I thank you, God, that you are willing to partner with us in the process. Sir, I say right now, help me. I don't want this church to think that, that Andrew is some pinnacle of, you know, godly communication. All of us, each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would permeate this atmosphere, that you would equip us and empower us. And I pray, God, that in the seasons to come, we would begin to reap a harvest of godly communication, that, that our harvest would be godly because our speech is godly. Our communication habits are godly. And we can't do that without your help and your power. 
Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for helping us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.